Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. You know, uh, we had a series going this summer on the parables, and uh, that came to an end last week, you know, and we're kind of following the school calendar here. Um, and so uh, this week we're going to start a new series, and it's on the book of Ephesians, which is really a great book. Um, I just want to ask this question to start off with. Have any of you ever been ghosted? You know what I mean by that? It's like you've been in a relationship, you've, or you've got this close friend, and all of a sudden this person just like disappears out of your life. They don't respond to you in any kind of way. It's just like they're not there anymore. And you sit back there and you wonder, like, what was my relationship with this person? Did they, how did they actually feel about me? Did they, did they like me as much as I thought they did? What, what's, what's really going on? And I don't know if you've ever had that feeling about God where you've gone like, yeah, yeah, I know they keep telling me that he loves me, but how does he really feel? You know, what's, what's going on deep down inside with him? And I think this book, Ephesians, is going to really help us in dealing with that question because I have that question like just goes through my mind, you know, and I just ponder that. How does he really, really feel? Uh, Ephesus was a city that's in modern-day Turkey. Actually, at the time Paul wrote, it was like the fourth, actually the fourth um, biggest city in the Roman Empire, and they had a kind of a channel that ran to the sea, so it was a great commercial center, slightly on the decline when Paul wrote this. And he loved these guys in Ephesus. I mean, uh, Paul typically just went from one town to another, build, you know, planting churches. But he, he was actually in Ephesus for three years, which for him was sort of the equivalent of being in the same high school 52 years. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's just, uh, he just loved being with these guys. They were, they were people that he had led some of them to the Lord, and he had instructed them. And he has no complaints about them in this book. He's just laying out the gospel in this book, and he's applying it in our lives. There was a great uh, Christian, Chinese Christian teacher named Watchman Nee, uh, and he wrote a classic book called Sit, Walk, Stand, where he said you could summarize the book in these three words, sit, walk, stand. Sit, it, the idea like what is our position in Christ, how we're seated with him in the heavenly realms, and then stand, or walk, I mean, which is our lifestyle. Once we know who we are, how is it that we're called to live? And then finally, stand. How do we deal with spiritual warfare that's inevitable and deal with the enemy? And so this morning, what we're going to do is look at Ephesians chapter 1. It's our amazing position in Christ. And I say amazing. Uh, there's a best-selling book out right now called Subpar Parks. And this is a best-selling book by Amber Scher. And uh, what she did was, it's, you see the subtitle, America's Most Extraordinary National Parks and Their Least Impressed Visitors. These are the people who give one star to certain national parks. And she actually researched these people to make sure they weren't just trying to show off. These are people that, they liked a lot of the parks, but here's one they just got totally overrated kind of thing. They're just unimpressed. Like, for example, um, this was like Yosemite National Park. Trees block view, and there are too many gray rocks, Okay. On the right there, that's sequoia, you know, one with has the beautiful trees. There are bugs, and they will bite you on your face. One star, you know. Uh, Cindy, you've been to Glacier, right? 
So uh, too cold for me, said that person, one star. And this last one here, the Grand Canyon, a hole, a very, very large hole. They just gave it one star and walked away from it. You know, the, the, the tragedy is in the national parks that these people are so blasé about. The tragedy is so many people feel that way about God, right? They go like, God, whatever. I mean, I got a lot of students that they're kind of like, yeah, this is nice, but they, they're just not very excited just about the whole idea of who God is. Maybe it's like they've been told this so often, it's just become like kind of boring to them or something. And even like really believers, you know, who are really like into like, the Lord, and we're just like following Jesus, after a while, it just becomes kind of old hat, and we take it for granted. And what I want to do this morning is to try to rehabilitate your view of God, your, your view of the Lord and what he has done, so that you and I can fully appreciate what is ours in Christ Jesus. And so we're going to start here with verse 3 of chapter 1. And it tells us this, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. I remember the first time that this verse just hit me, and I started realizing what it was saying, and I thought, oh my goodness, it was like... It's like before God even created the world, he was thinking of me. And do you understand that, what that means for you too? He was thinking of you. He was going like, he hasn't even created the world. He goes like, yeah, Tom. And he's thinking like Brittany. And he's thinking Carrie. And he's thinking Joy. And he's going like, wow. And he chose us. He's going like, I got something special in mind for that person. I mean, that's just amazing. And it says that we were chosen for every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. He's going like, I want to give these people stuff that's going to last. Not like the temporal stuff that's great now and it just kind of fades away or gets rusty or deteriorates. But these are like spiritual blessings that are going to last and last and last. He had that in mind. He chose us. We are chosen people for lasting blessings. You know, one of my earliest memories was when my mom taught me baseball when I was just a little kid, you know, maybe four or five years old, and I fell in love with that sport. And I remember when I was in about the second grade or third grade, we lived by this parkway, and I would go, this was back in the day, the, the baby boomer days, when there were tons of kids, and, and they played unsupervised in the neighborhoods and stuff. And I would walk the, like, block down to the parkway by our house, and this is after school, okay, and there's these kids from the local Catholic school, St. Mary's, and they're playing baseball in a parkway, and these kids were bigger than I was, you know, I was like maybe a second grader or so, and I'm down there with this little cheap glove that my parents had bought me, it must have cost like 50 cents, uh, the other kids called it the pancake, and I'm sitting down there, I'm watching these guys in their fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, and I'm like, these guys are so cool. These guys are so great. I mean, they, they take baseball seriously and are playing hard. And I remember one kid hitting a home run that actually hit a freight train that was going by at the, at the other side of the parkway right there. It was like, wow. And they had a kid named Simon who threw hard. They were playing hardball. And he just threw hard and wild. And one day, one of these kids from, and these kids also, they swore a lot. 
And when you're in like second grade, you're going, oh, it's so cool, you know? <laughs> so these guys are like the, the upper crust, so to speak. And I remember one day one of the kids said, hey, kid, can you be the third backup catcher when Simon pitches? I thought, really? This is great. So I remember I, was, I would stand in the middle of the parkway, the road, the third backup catcher, and chase down balls that Simon would, would throw wildly. But it was great. It was like I was, I was special. I was chosen. Now, just imagine how that is in the heavenly realms, how we've been chosen by the creator God, the almighty creator. He's got us in mind. He's going, come on, I want you to join my team. You know, and we've been adopted, it says. Verse 5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family to bring, uh, by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. You know, in Paul's day, when you got adopted, it meant that what the family or arrangement you were in before, all your debts were canceled from that. And then you came into this new family, and you were entitled to everything that they had, the full inheritance. It says this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. It gave him, he said, I, I want you in my family, and I love having you in my family. You know, the contrast I think of when I think of this is Franz Kafka. I teach uh, one of his stories in my AP English class, but his stories were always like dark and depressing and frustrating, you know, like the metamorphosis where the, the guy wakes up one morning and he's been turned into a giant insect and he's got to deal with that, you know, things like that. Kafka was an insurance salesman and he wrote kind of part-time, you know, at night. And because his job didn't pay much, he lived with his family. And his father hated him. And his father, is, that's his picture there on the lower right, Herman Kafka. And he not only hated his son, but he made it clear by telling him what a disappointment he was. He said, you are an irredeemable disappointment. And Kafka lived in this household, and this just tore him up. And, but he was so intimidated by his father that he couldn't talk to him about it. He couldn't eat, confront him about it. And one day when he was about 33, he finally decided he was going to communicate to his father, but afraid to talk to him, he wrote him a letter. He wrote about a two-page letter, and it gradually became 47 pages. And finally, he said, okay, I'm going to give this to my father. But he was too afraid, so he gave it to his mother, Julia, and he said, will you give this to, to my dad? And she looked at it and sat on it for about two or three days, and she thought, you know what? Herman's too busy to look at this. He's got a business to run. So she just gave it back to him, to Kafka. And Kafka lived in that kind of situation. At the age of about 38, he contracted tuberculosis. For the last two years of his life before he died, he lived in a sanatorium away from his family. They were the happiest years of his life. And when I look at that story, I think, you know what? It's true. Every one of us wants the blessing of our father. We need that father blessing. And if you grow up without being affirmed by your dad and loved by your dad, that's a great blight in your life. That's destructive. I've seen that over and over again, you know, in my, in my teaching career when, when that is missing. And it's like what God has said is, look, whatever your earthly situation has been, whatever your history has been with your dad, he's going, I want to be your 
heavenly father and I'm going to adopt you into my family and I'm happy to have you in my family. I am full of joy that you're in my family. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. You know, I, I see an example of this in my own extended family. That little boy you see there on the left and he's also on the far right, that's Jonathan Atala and uh, my daughter Amy and her husband Ehab. When they were in their mid-40s, they heard of a of this child in South Korea. He'd been abandoned uh, by his father at birth. And then he went, to, he was living with his mom and his mom um, had a boyfriend and the boyfriend said, it's either me or it's that kid. So she just dumped him. And he stayed with a foster family, which was a nice family. And then Ehab and Amy adopted him and brought him here to be with them into their family. And he's got all those advantages. And you can just see that in that picture on the right. There's his dad in the background going, jump off the picnic table. You know, it's going to be great. And Jonathan's got cousins and, and a brother and a sister now. And he's in that family. And that's our story, too. As we've been adopted by a heavenly father who's happy to have us in his family. And we've got all these brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we join with them all throughout the world. Just like I said when we were having communion. And then it goes on and it says we've been ransomed. This is how we got in. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. You know, this cost was a great thing to get Jonathan into the family over there in Milwaukee uh, with my uh, son-in-law and my daughter. But this was a cost of the very life of Jesus Christ. He gave up his life to get us into his family. We've been ransomed. We've been, we've been bought into that family at great price. You know, I've told the story before here, but I've got to tell it again. This guy whose picture you're seeing, his name is Russell Saltzman, Lutheran minister, um, I think out in Nebraska. And uh, Saltzman um, grew up in, a, in his family, a very good Christian family. But he found out when he was fairly young that he had been adopted. And that bothered him. You know, he's thinking like, well, why did my parent, get birth parents give me up? What's the deal? And he, he began to say to himself, I, I've been abandoned. I was abandoned. Why was I abandoned? Why didn't they want me? And this caused him to never trust anybody else. I mean, he just it destroyed all his friendships because he thought, I can't trust people. I can't commit to others. It wrecked his first marriage because he just couldn't trust his wife. He said, I'm just going to be abandoned again. I just know it. And then, one day, when he was probably in his late 30s, he found out the story of the adoption. And what had happened was that his fa birth father was a young 18-year-old soldier who was stationed in a military outpost in the t in near the town where, they, where he grew up. And he had raped his half-sister, who was 15 years old. And this happened in about 1971, which was two years before Roe v. Wade. So in other words, it was harder to get an abortion at that particular time. And, but still, she was going to get an abortion. And then this Christian family came along. They heard about the situation. They said, if you will carry this child to full term, we will adopt this child. Please let us do it. And so he was adopted by this family. And he thought, wow, if I had been born a couple years later, or if I had been slightly different circumstances, I would have been, I would never would have seen the light of day. But he started to realize 
I was not abandoned. I was rescued. That's the story of my life. I was rescued. And, you know, there are times, I think, in our lives where we, things are going so badly, and it's like, it just seems like we're, we're going nowhere, and we go like, I've been abandoned. I've been forgotten. What's the deal? But the truth of the matter, what it tells us in Ephesians 1 is that we've been rescued. We've been rescued at a great price and brought into a family. We have not been abandoned. And then it says, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is a plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. And God's going, you know, I'm going to explain this to you so that it becomes clear what the real story is. We've been enlightened. I remember reading a short biography of David Block. This guy is like a world-renowned astronomer. Uh, he grew up in a, a Jewish family, and he had this idea that there was a God somewhere. And as he studied astronomy and looked at the stars and the galaxy, he's going, there's got to be a God. There's got to be this intelligent mind out there to put this whole uh, extravagant, intricate universe together. But he kept asking himself, is it possible to have a personal encounter with the creator of the universe? Can I know him? Can I know him? And one day, he, um, he was talking to another professor at the university where he taught. And the guy said, I know you're Jewish, but he said, I got a Christian friend that I'd like you to talk to him. He said, why not? So he talked to this guy. And the guy said, you know what? The Bible tells us in the Old Testament, and it's quoted in, in Romans, talks about Jesus is the cornerstone, but he's also a stumbling block and has been a stumbling block to Jewish people because it's hard for them to see him many times as the Messiah. And the verse in Romans says, I lay a, in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes him fall. But the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. And he started to realize, you know what? The God of the universe has revealed himself in Jesus. And all I need to do is just respond to this invitation and I can know him. And so he came to trust in Jesus. And when that happened, his eyes were open. It changed his life. He was like, yes, I, I can know the living God. And that's our situation too, isn't it? That we've come into like a personal relationship. He isn't just a, a God who's out there, but he's real and personal for us. Then it says we've been predestined. Furthermore, because we're united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. It's like God's going like, yeah, I got a, a destiny for you, and it's, it's a good one. I chose you in advance. Paul said this in Acts 17 when he was talking to the Athenian philosophers. He said, from one man... God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Do you, you know what that's saying? That's saying that the fact that you're right here or living, most of you are. I know there's several of you who live in Illinois. I saw a license plate like that this morning. But most of you live in northeast Ohio, and here we are in August 2021. That is no accident. It says God put you in the various places where you've lived. Why would he do that? Well, it goes on and it says, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, 
though he is not far from any one of us. He's going, I have put you in the specific circumstances that would make you want to reach out and try to find me. I, I, I've, I've done that in a specific way. I am convinced that one of the reasons why Nan and I lived in uh, Lakewood in the late 70s and early 80s was so, so that we could come in contact with a number of women who lived in our neighborhood in Lakewood who were in a Bible study. And when we were going through a time when we're just going like, we're a mess and what are we going to do? They really led us to the Lord at that time. It's just, it's no accident where God has put you. And the very fact that you're here this morning, hearing this word from Ephesians, is something that God's going, this is where you were supposed to be today. You know, I got an illustration of this this week from an email from my principal. And it was actually, he was recounting something that I think one of you actually wrote him. Um, yeah, Cindy here, um, last week. And I got to read to you what she wrote. Uh, we have this custom at Lutheran West that if you're a new student, like a freshman, or a transfer, we give you a Bible, right? You do that in your classes, Jake. And uh, this, uh, Cindy wrote, I had a student in my 11th period study hall who said she had nothing to work on. This is very typical, right? Um, I asked her how her classes went, and she said she'd received a Bible in religion class. She told me that she'd never had a Bible before and didn't know anything about it. Bring it over here, I said. So she sat next to me, and we opened her brand-new Bible. I opened the table of contents and explained what Old Testament meant and what New Testament meant. Then I explained how to find the books, what a chapter meant, and a verse, etc. Afterwards, I had her look up John 3.16 and read it to me. She highlighted it, then I wrote, it down, wrote down four of my other favorite verses and had her find them in her new Bible and read them to me. She was really happy and excited to do it and proud that she could do it. Why was that girl at Lutheran West where they give out free Bibles at that particular time in, the, in this week of August? That was no accident. God says, that's where you're going to be. And you're going to get a Bible and you're going to start starting to learn some things about me that are going to make you want to know me better. No accident at all. God had that all figured out. Isn't that cool? And then in Romans 8.29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You, know, you wonder sometimes, why are these things happening to me? And God's going, you know what? I've kind of tweaked your life so that you are going to get more and more like me and, and more and more like Jesus, and your character is being developed, sometimes in very, very painful ways, but it's going to be good. That's how all things are working out for your good. And finally, we've been sealed, and he says, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you, and when you believed in Christ, he put a seal on you by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. He's going, you know what? If you trust me, if you have faith in me, my Spirit's going to come to live in you. And what did Jesus' Spirit cry out all the time? He cried out. What did Jesus cry out? Father, Abba, Father. And Jesus' Spirit in us is calling out, and our spirit goes, Father, my Father. This is what it says in Romans 8.15. The spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, 
And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit we are God's children. I remember when I first started, like, walking with the Lord. It was like God wasn't just like God or some kind of abstract, but it was like my Father, my Father. It was like a different thing was happening. My spirit was united, I guess, with, with the spirit of the Lord in me, calling out to him, Abba, Father. And I think you understand that experience as God becomes less abstract and more real and personal to you. You know, here's a perfect picture of that. If you look at the screen there, that's my son-in-law, uh, John, from St. Louis. And he's throwing his two-year-old daughter, Vivian, my granddaughter, up in the air. Just up in beautiful Eagle River, Wisconsin, a couple weeks ago when we got the whole family together. And if you look at, I don't know if you can see, but can you see the look on her face? I mean, she's not scared. She's got this smile on her face. There's two reasons for that. One is, she's two years old, okay? <laughs> if I'm up there in the air, I'm not smiling, okay? But the other thing is, she knows something, doesn't she? She knows that's dad. She knows that's father there. And there's loving arms and hands that are going to surely catch her, right? And don't you have those times in your life when you've been thrown up in the air by the Heavenly Father, and you're going, ah, what am I doing up here? There's no way out of this. I'm surely going to fall. But deep down inside, you know there are loving hands that are absolutely and surely going to catch you, and it's all going to be good. That's that guarantee of the Holy Spirit witnessing that to our hearts. You know, I don't know if, if you know that, saw the story in the news, but about six weeks ago, maybe, maybe seven, eight weeks, this woman on the left here, Carrie uh, Smith, she lived down a road in North Royalton in an apartment. And her um, boyfriend, ex-boyfriend, broke into the apartment and beat her to death with a baseball bat. Horrific crime. Um, and then he stuffed her body in the trunk of her car and he drove it to a landfill in Ashtabula and dumped the body there. And Connie, her mother, uh, who was at our Bible study last Tuesday night, uh, had to go to uh, identify the body. And it was just a horrible experience. But two weeks ago, they had the funeral for Carrie. And Connie actually gave a eulogy. I don't know how you do that, where your beloved daughter has been brutally murdered like this, but you're, and you're able to stand up there in front of that crowd of people. It was a full church just there to, to console her. And she talked about her, like any good eulogy, she talked about her, her daughter and how her daughter, you know, what a sweetheart she was and, and you know, all the good things about her. And then she said, now let me tell you about my Jesus. And she started talking about Jesus and she started sharing the hope that she had and the reason that she was able to experience this peace on top of this, this horrible emotions that she was feeling. And she was, she's talking about how confident she was in the fact that Carrie is going to live forever. She may be dead physically, but she's got an eternal future because we serve a living Lord. He's a resurrected Jesus Christ. And Connie was able to tell about her Jesus to these people and bring this strong testimony because Connie knew 
like you and I have heard from Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, that she and her daughter, and this applies to all of us here who are followers of Jesus, we've been chosen before the creation of the world. We've been adopted into this family. We've been ransomed. We've been enlightened. We've been predestined. And we've been sealed. And I'll tell you what, as we look at that and we think about our God, we're going, you know what? Can't give that one star. At all the stars in the universe wouldn't be enough to rate how awesome and wonderful he is. So let's pray. And I want to use for my prayer this morning uh, words from the end of Ephesians 1, or pretty close to the end, and just adapt this for the prayer. So I'm going to pray this. Father, we pray to you constantly, asking you, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give all of us spiritual wisdom and insight so that we might know, we might grow in our knowledge of you. I pray that our hearts will be flooded with light so that we can understand the confident hope that you have given to those you have called and the rich and glorious inheritance you have given to us, your holy people. In Jesus' name, who made this all possible, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.